Good morning. I got to teach in the children's membership class a couple weeks ago. They said, you're the water bottle pastor. <laughs> yeah, I guess there are worse things to be known by, right? You know, like, okay. But I'm David Fisk. I'm one of the pastors here at InTown, and glad to be here. And we're starting a new series, as you can see by there graphic. It's big story and big calling, and I'm excited about this, and I hope you are too. And when I talk about the big story, you see it there on the, on the slide, creation, fall, redemption, restoration, okay? It's four, four parts, and I'm going to talk about them every week for five weeks, at least a little bit. So if we get done with this series and you can name all four, good job. My four-year-old, when my daughter was four, she knew the four, so you better know it by the end of five weeks. But we're going to talk about kind of a story like this, and we're going to kind of work down through the series, and we're going to talk about calling kind of more specific and then get broader, Okay. Because I can't do this much big story and this much big calling or we'll be here till like 1 o'clock and everyone will be mad at me. But we're going to talk about the big story. I'm talking about the overarching story of the Bible and human history. The part of history that we are part of from creation to when Jesus returns. Okay? These four parts, they're the foundation of Christianity. They are the the story of Scripture, and they give us an identity and significance and purpose, and they give us a calling. Now, I know you think that's your job or vocation. Much bigger than that. We'll get to that later. But all of our stories, and each one of us has a story, all of our stories help make up the big overarching story, the biblical story. And all of our stories are different, right? And so that means all of our callings are going to be different. But they're all important. They all matter. They all need to be part of the biblical story. And when we talk about calling, think of it as you, your calling on your story, on your life, is to make known Something about God, something about God that no other person's story tells. That's your calling. That's why you need to work hard at figuring out, what is my calling? What is my calling? And in your calling, you are revealing God through your character. Through your character. Okay? See, so much more than just your job. You're revealing God through your character. So that's a big story and a big calling. And I'm going to have the longest scripture introduction probably ever this morning. So we need to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to be with us. So let's pray together. Holy Spirit, we need you. I need you. We are your creation, and we need you every day, every hour. Lord, we need you right now to use the words of your servant to help us grow in our minds, in our wills, in our affections and desires. 
Will you please bless this time, make it glorifying to you and enjoyable to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Fox Theater, St. Louis, Missouri. Becca and I were in, I was in seminary and Becca and I lived in St. Louis and I got to go to the Fox Theater because one of my professors had a daughter who's an elite dancer in ballet and she got us tickets. Sarah Elizabeth Hagen was very kind to give us tickets to her performance. And the performance was the Nutcracker, okay? I had not heard the story of the Nutcracker. I lived a very sheltered, sports-centered life growing up. Nutcracker, hadn't, didn't know the story, wasn't sure what was gonna happen. But I'll, as I'm, I'm watching this, you know, my wife tells me, you can't talk during the performance, okay? And I'm like, oh, great. Um, so I can't ask questions, and she's like, no. And so I'm watching the Nutcracker, and I see this guy. He has this dark cape on, and he has a black eye patch and kind of weird clothes. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, that guy looks scary. Becca, what's his name? And she's like, shh. It's Drosselmeyer, but shh. And I was like, Drosselmeyer? That sounds like Voldemort or Skeletor from He-Man. You know, like, obviously this is the bad guy. Look at the way he's dressed and look at his name. He's the bad guy. So I watched the Nutcracker thinking that Drosselmeyer was the bad guy. And so I'm going, no, children, don't run away with him. Like, Clara, don't take that gift from him. He's bad. No. I'm so confused. <laughs> I was so confused about the story. I didn't understand it. I didn't understand it. And they tease me to this day about it. But I tell you that story because when we misunderstand our stories, when we misunderstand the biblical story, we are going to make mistakes about so much, right? We're going to make mistakes about our identities, we're going to make mistakes about our purpose, our significance, the characters in the stories. When we misunderstand the biblical story, we make huge mistakes. It, and I think often one of the ways that we make the mistakes is that we misinterpret the biblical story as just, I sin, Jesus died for my sins, and I try to follow him. Right? That would only be the fall and redemption. You'd be leaving out the creation and restoration. The story is not two parts, it's four parts, okay? And misunderstanding it and truncating the story minimizes our calling and minimizes what God is doing in all of creation, his goal in all of creation. And his goal is to renew all things, renew all things. And so if our foundation is wrong, then the biblical story can be a mistake. It can be wrong, and the concerns of our life will be wrong. And as I thought about this um, series, I was talking with Holly, and she was saying, you know, like, I think one of the ways that Christians often misunderstand the story is that work came into the story at the beginning, not at, after the fall. And I was like, oh, that's good. I'm going to 
steal that and use it in sermon one. <laughs> right? Like, we look at work and we're like, oh, it's necessary evil. Or you go, oh, my work's not important because it's not spiritual. And Barna put out this, this statistic that blew my mind. It said that 74% of congregants in the United States think that the pastor's job is more important than theirs because it's spiritual, right? It's the whole sacred-secular divide. And I'm going, no, your job, your work is just as important as mine because you are part of God's story, and your story helps makes up the biblical story. So I want us to kind of clear up, how do we understand our work? Now, that's not our whole calling, but it's a specific part of our calling, okay? So here's how we're going to understand it first. Dad, I'm pregnant. You don't know how to respond, do you? You know why? Because you don't know the context. If it's a 15-year-old who says, I don't... I'm, I'm pregnant and I'm not sure who the dad is, you're going to be freaking out in a bad way. But if it's your 30-year-old daughter who says, we've been trying for five years and she's married and been married for a long time and I finally am going to have a baby. Like, that's exciting and that's joyful. A little different, huh? Context matters. Context, our professor used to say in seminary, not Jimmy, context is king, and our context is this overarching biblical story. It's the overarching meta-narrative of the Bible. Now, it took me like three semesters to learn what that word meta-narrative meant, but it's just the overarching story. It's the big story that Christians are called to live by, and it's four parts. It has these bookends at the beginning in Genesis 1 and 2, and it has these bookendings at the end of Revelation 21 and 22, okay? So we have to understand the context. We have to understand all four parts. So we're going to talk about all four parts and then get into work, okay? That's why I said this is the longest scripture intro ever. So first is the creation, right? God created the entire world and everything was great. He created everything, right? He created, we'll see, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. At the beginning of the story, God creates the world, and everything is perfect, and everything is living in harmony, and everything is the way that it should be. And you see that how uh, he makes humanity as part of that, too. He makes men and women. And you see how the relationships between God and Adam and Eve, and the relationships between Adam and Eve, and the relationship between Adam and Eve and creation and God and creation are all harmonious. They're all perfect. They're all the way God intended them to be. And that's Genesis 1 and 2. But you know what comes next? Genesis 3. And Genesis 3 historically went back and looked, like even in the early church, the fall. They call it the fall. 
It's way worse than that. It's more like rebellion. I thought that was too many R's though, so fall. But it's like rebellion. It's rebellion against God. It's a betrayal. It's a violation of the Creator and a violation of His creation and everyone in it. Right? And it's through this betrayal that evil and sin and death enter the world. Not God's fault. He is not the author of sin. Humanity's fault. Humanity is the one that brought in brokenness and suffering and pain and death by rebelling against its creator. And now things are not the way that they're supposed to be. Everything is fractured. All those four relationships I spoke about are shattered. But the good news is there's a third act, redemption, right? Thank you. Um, Redemption. And humanity's betrayal brought evil and sin and death into the world, but there was still goodness in it, right? There's still goodness in it. And so God didn't say, you know what? Forget this world. I'm going to create a new one and start with a different couple, not named Adam and Eve, you know, and I'm going to get a, you know, different because they're just a wreck and they're rebellious and forget them. No, he doesn't do that. In Genesis 3.15, he makes a promise that he's going to provide a Messiah to this story. I'm going to give you a savior to this story. I'm going to give you redemption. And this is when redemption begins in the Christian story. Okay? And you can follow this promise through Abraham and through Moses, the the nation of Israel and how it's supposed to embody blessing. You can follow it through the covenant with David, how his descendants, one of them will always be on the throne. This is redemption. And the Old Testament is always predicting making predictions about the Messiah. And then the Messiah comes, right? And the first four books of the New Testament are all about Jesus. Jesus Christ is the Messiah. It's these writers presenting Jesus and saying, look at his life and his death and how he was murdered and crucified. He was the Messiah. Look how he was resurrected. He's the Messiah. He's the Messiah. And the rest of the New Testament then proclaims that Jesus is the Messiah, the the Savior, the one who embodied love and blessing. And as Luke mentioned, ascension earlier in the service, Jesus ascended. And in Acts 2, we see how he left us his Holy Spirit. And his Holy Spirit is given to us to help us live in a way that is redeeming the world. Now, redeeming means buying back. And by Jesus' death on the cross, he bought us back from our sins, right? So that is part of the story. I don't want to minimize that at all. That is a very, very important part of the story. But it's in his resurrection that a bigger part of the story is hinted at because he 
by being resurrected, he defeats death and evil and sin. And so it's, it's here in, in the resurrection that Jesus beats Satan and evil and death. But he doesn't claim the victory yet. And that's this, if you've heard the words, you know, kind of already, not yet. That's where we are, right? And that's where we are in the story. And that's why you see in your life beauty and brokenness. It's why you see goodness, but still suffering. It's in process. It's in the process of being restored. And that's why you and I long for something different. We long for a world where things are right. We long for a world that doesn't have sin and doesn't have death and it doesn't have suffering. We long for restoration, the final act. We long for the ending of the story. The ending of the story is comforting because it tells you God will win. I know we just spent, I don't know how many weeks, on Revelation, and that was the message every single week, right? God will win. God will win. And one day, someday, Jesus will come back, and he will claim victory, and he will make everything right. And these bookends, Revelation 21 and 22, show how he is going to come and undo pain and evil and suffering and everything that's been taken from you will be filled back up. Okay? That's the Christian story. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. That's the Christian story. It's our foundation that we live by. It gives us purpose. It gives us identity. It gives us hope. It gives us a calling. And see, this is the lens through which you need to look at the world. This is how you need to view your foundation and in interpreting life correctly. Otherwise, you're going to be David Fisk at the Fox going, what is happening right now? <laughs> right? And not know what's going on. All right. That's our big story. So how do we properly understand work in light of the story? Why is work part of our calling? Not all of it, part of it. But why is it so important? Well, in the ancient Near East, the gods used to not work. They used to just sit around and not do anything, but fight with each other. And that's how the world would claim, or the world would be formed according to these gods. Okay? They didn't do anything. They fought, and then these worlds would come about. What does a Christian God do? We see it in verse 1 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. That's the beginning. That's the beginning of the story. That's the beginning where he comes in and 
follows that up by creating day and night. You see that in verse 5. And in verse 8, you know, he creates the heavens and the skies. In verse 12, he creates land and water and vegetation. Verse 16, he creates the sun and the moon. And then in verses 21 and 25, he creates the sea creatures and the birds and the beasts, all the different animals. What is God doing? He's working. And he's enjoying it. Right? Have you seen a giraffe? <laughs> like, the, 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 you know, like, you just imagine the Trinity, like, let's make one with a really long neck. Okay. High five, you know. Have you seen a narwhal? I didn't even know that one was. There was one. It's the unicorn of the sea. It's a whale with a big horn on it. Come on, you can't tell me God wasn't having fun. He was delighting in his work. He was enjoying it. He is working, and he's working as a creator and as a gardener and as a provider and as an author and as an artist. And the world is perfect, and there's no sin, and there's no suffering, and he's delighted in his work. You see in verse 26, let's see if I can do this right. All right, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. This is the pinnacle of creation because he makes man and woman in his image. And we're going to talk more about that next week. But this is the pinnacle of creation. This is the, the most important thing that he makes. And he creates us. And what does he do? He puts us in a garden. He put Adam and Eve in a garden. And what does it say in verse 1 of Chapter 1 of verse 31, God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good, or the good, as the young people say. It was very good, okay? So first thing I want you to see, let's see if I can get this right, work is godly. God works. He worked to begin the story. He works to keep the story going. He's the sustainer of all things. Okay? So, let's keep going. Remember, God is a triune God. His Father, Son, and Spirit, and they love each other perfectly. And that's the way the world was designed. It was designed with that context of intentionality. And Tim Keller says this about God's work. He says, the ultimate purpose of God's work of creation was to create a world of persons with whom he could enjoy a relationship. He creates the world with us in mind. He creates the world so that he can love people. Right? And what does he do with humans? Let's go back. He tells them, 
Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion. And dominion is? He's giving them power and authority over everything, but he's saying, I want you to care for them. And then you see in chapter 2, verse 15, how the Lord took the man and put him in the garden to work it and to keep it. Right? He's telling Adam and Eve, I want you to take care of this. I want you to work. I want you to, I want you to control it. I want you to have dominion over it. Take my thing and build it, right? He provides the world, he, and he leaves potential unlocked so that Adam and Eve can come and work it and work towards more potential and work the world, right? And so here is where we often make, make a mistake about work, right? Because human rebellion has not happened yet. Adam and Eve did live in the garden, working it and keeping it. And it was good. I'm sorry, it was very good. And so you see work is good. He gives us that command and says that it's good. And sneak peek to the end, I'll give you, it's like a movie preview. In restoration at the end, when God comes back, when Jesus comes back and makes all things right, we will walk with God on the earth and it will be perfect and we'll all have jobs. We'll all have callings. I don't know what pastors will do, but, you know, like other, other jobs. Uh, we will work, and we'll love it, and we'll enjoy it, because that is how God created it. That is what he meant it to be. So work is godly, and work is good. God created for you to have relationships. He created you to have skills and talents, and he gives them to you as a gift. See, work is supposed to be this worshipful response to God. It's a worshipful response to the gifts that he's given us. I really don't like alliteration, but I did it for you. Okay? Work is a gift, and it's, it, it, it's inviting you into what you were created to do, what you were originally intended to do. God's saying, look, I'm giving you all this stuff. I'm giving you wisdom. I'm giving you experience. I'm giving you opportunities, and I want you to work. And this is my gift to you, and use it in your callings. Your calling, revealing God's character, do it in your work. Working towards the world being very good, do it in your work. Okay? And here's the thing, this is, this is why your story matters. Your story matters because it's gonna say something in the biblical story about God that is unique. And if you leave your story out, the story is incomplete. It'd be like if I took you know, a brick out from up here and just left it and didn't fill it with another mauve brick. Every, you'd come in every week and be like, oh, that looks ugly. Where's that brick? Where'd that go? 
It's like that with your story. You can't take it out. It's part of the biblical story. It helps make it all up. It's why your story matters, because it is part of the biblical story. And work is a gift, doing what God did with creation, creating blessing and using your gifts to make things very good and to love others. Now, I know that since I've been um, planning this series, I've been given like 20 books by people, and I haven't read them all, but I read one, and I don't remember who the author was. But he had a great quote, or she had a great quote. I don't know who it was, but all truth is God's truth, right? Um, This is what they said about work. God intends your work to contribute to the restoration Remember the end? The restoration of the creation and the people in it. To raising life on this planet to higher states of beauty, goodness, and truth. Reflecting the glory of God in our midst. Isn't that beautiful? That's what God wants for our work. That's what God wants for our calling. So I'll just finish with this. The first question, what story do you live by? Whether you're a Christian or not, you look at the world a certain way and you think about why we're here. You think about the situation that the world is in and decide whether it's good or bad. What's the solution? Right? You have to ask those questions in life. And as a Christian, we look at the biblical story as the bigger story that we live by. It's the context that we do everything, right? It's the way you handle your money. It's the way that you parent. It's the way that you treat your neighbor. It's the way that you go to work and have a work ethic. It's the way that your character is revealed. And when you understand the biblical story, you're going to understand how God designed us. And you will understand the story that he designed us to live by. You'll understand the context. Right? You'll know Drosselmeyer was a good guy. It's good that the, that the girl accepted the gift and that the children went with them. I wish I knew that context before the thing because I didn't understand it was lost. You could, I could have like enjoyed it like my wife did. Not that I'm bitter or anything. Um, but when you understand the big story, we're starting to understand we have a calling in it. You have a work, job, vocation in it. Okay? And because work is godly and good and it's a gift, we too are to work like God. We're to work towards these higher states of beauty and truth and goodness. Because when we do that, we are aligning our stories with the biblical story. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you that you have written a good story, that you you are the author and the sustainer. Lord, would you help us understand how we can live out our story and our calling and bring you glory and help the world to flourish.
We love you. We thank you for your goodness. Would you work in us through your Holy Spirit to do these things? Teach us more and more as we go how important the big story is and teach us more and more what our calling in it is. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.